Hello, and welcome back to the SA Pioneering Podcast. In this episode, we hear from Mohan Sivaratnam, who shared a talk on intercultural church planting at the Savishnami's Emerge Pioneer Gathering in May 2021. Mohan is a bi-vocational church planter. He leads Mosaic Church in Harrow, which is an intentionally intercultural missional community that seeks to celebrate unity in Jesus as well as cultural diversity on earth as it is in heaven. He also works as a GP and is married to Sarah and they have three children. He is passionate that the church is at the forefront of affirming, honouring and celebrating cultural and ethnic diversity. As always, there are some great conversations raised in this talk and we'd love to hear your thoughts. If you'd like to carry on the conversation, please join our SA Pioneering discussion group on Facebook. To find it, search SA Pioneering Podcast on Facebook and it should be there. So now let's hear from Mohan on intercultural church planting. I'd like to start with a, a story, actually a story from Sri Lanka, as we think about this whole area of uh, intercultural church. And a story about a lady called Muriel Hutchins. It was about uh, 85 years ago in the north of Sri Lanka. And there's a lady called uh, Amidham, uh, a Tamil lady, a Hindu lady, who suffered a stroke after the birth of her third child. And she was paralysed down half her body. At the same time, she, she lost her baby. And Amidham's husband tried to <coughs> treat her both with Western and native medicine, but with little success. And because the family were Hindus, Amidham's husband took her to the, a famous Hindu temple. And having seen her condition, the high priest of the temple took uh, Amidham's husband aside and told her that she was under a curse. There was simply no cure. She also said that if Amidham would only die, then the curse would be removed. So Amadam's husband brought her back home and, and really just left her in a room, hoping uh, she would uh, slowly deteriorate and die and that the curse would soon be removed from the family. And days and weeks passed by as Amadam lay there in her room, just having her basic needs attended to. And then one day there was an unusual visitor to the house, a 24-year-old British lady uh, called Muriel Hutchins. She, was, uh, she came to Sri Lanka as a CMS missionary Church Mission Society missionary from Wales. And she had heard about uh, Amidham and, and, and just wanted to do a, a, a simple pastoral visit. Unfortunately, communication was difficult between the two of them as uh, Amidham spoke little English and Muriel Hutchins at the time spoke uh, hardly any Tamil. But having spent some time just looking at each other in the, in the room, Muriel Hutchins just got up and said, Jesus bless you and keep you and, and prayed for her and left the room. And after Muriel Hutchins left the house, some of them started to think about what Muriel said and asked herself, you know, who is this Jesus? She'd learnt about Jesus from, you know, from maybe some school and, and a few stories. But she'd started to think more about Jesus and, and her faith over the next few days and her faith began to grow. She started calling on the name of Jesus in her heart. And several days passed and by and then one day, uh, as, she, as she was lying in the bill, she felt, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit, I think, but believe asking her to stand up, and at the same time she felt an unexplainable power and strength in her body. And with a few minutes, she she started walking and healing, walking and running, and saying, "Jesus healed me. Jesus healed." Me. It was it was the miraculous healing, and uh, Amadam completely recovered, and as a response to her healing, committed her life to Jesus. And Amadam went then went on to have four more children, and the last of these was someone called. 
Sam Thurvabalasingham there, and uh, we had the pleasure of meeting Sam when we were in Sri Lanka. And Sam was ordained ordained as an Anglican minister, and was one time the president of the Sri uh, Evangelical Alliance of Sri Lanka. And uh, today, Sam is now running two Christian organisations. One is called Every Home, which seeks to uh, visit every home in Sri Lanka and give them appropriate evangelistic Christ Christian literature. The second organisation that Sam had the vision to set up and run is as a rural pastors training centre in Norton Bridge, which is where all the tier states of Sri Lanka are situated amongst um, the poorest of the poor in Sri Lanka. And Sam always shares this story uh, with tears in his eyes uh, about Muriel Hutchins, because Muriel Hutchins was, you know, a simple lady doing a simple thing, like visiting a, a person, different person of a different culture uh, and faith and, and blessing her very simply. But God used it for great purposes. And the point of this story is to show really the amazing effects and consequences when we are willing like Muriel Hutchins, to cross barriers, to cross cultural barriers and show simple acts of love and service. You know what Muriel Hutchins did, every single Christian can do. Every single one of us in this conference room can do. And who knows what, how God will use that for his greater purposes. You know, Muriel Hutchins was a lady who simply chose to cross and break down cultural barriers in love. And Muriel Hutchins did, uh, you know, eventually did learn the Tamil language and her life made such an impact in Sri Lanka that uh, hundreds of people uh, attended a funeral. She died, uh, she came to Britain uh, in retirement in the sort of late uh, 50s, 60s, but found it very difficult, then went back to Sri Lanka and uh, uh, died in Sri Lanka aged 98 in 1996. And her ministry, amongst other things, included being a teacher, she headed up an orphanage, and she looked after a girls boarding school and she desired to work with the poorest and poor and made such an impact. So that's what we're looking at today. This uh, and the difference that one person can make in this whole story. Now, uh, as Andrew said, the world we live in is, is ch has changed. We know that in, we, the world we currently inhabit is increasingly more ethnic diverse, as, as Andrew said, most of our cities in the UK will show. But also in our rural areas, as Andrew said, ethnic diversity is still to be found, you know, in our hospitals, our shops, our restaurants, the tradespeople. And with the in increasing use of information technology and social media, we very much live in, in a global village, don't we? And Jesus, at the end of his life, we know those famous words of Matthew 28, gave that commission to, to make disciples of all nations. And such is our, all of our calling to do so in the context of where we're living, to make disciples of all nations. But for this to happen, I think the best way we can be doing this is creating church communities of all nations and raising up a church leaders of all nations. And I believe the developing of more intercultural church communities and church plants throughout this land uh, needs to be a significant step in the mission of our national churches. And uh, just as I'm uh, trying to encourage the Church of England, so I got, didn't mention that, I was ordained in the Church of England uh, and uh, uh, in 2015 and doing a church plant within that, uh, uh, I would ask you as pioneers and, and leaders in the Salvation Army to be thinking through, as, as, as Andrew has encouraged, what does this mean for you as an organisation? It was great also to connect uh, wonderfully, actually, at a conference just a couple of weeks ago at All Nations uh, about 
called Reimagining English Identity. I connected with Johnny Smith, your intercultural mission enabler. And uh, please work with Johnny and, and encourage him and let him work alongside you as you seek to develop in this area. It's great to, to know that you're wanting to develop in this area. So I want to share with you this morning a bit about the story of Mosaic as a pioneering intercultural church community. And also we're looking at how we, we might grow together in this. Uh, so yes, as Andrew said, we, I, I, we deliberately use the word intercultural rather than multicultural because I think it's possible, isn't it, to live in a multicultural society. We live in a multicultural society. That's a given where cultures can coexist alongside each other, but still have little meaningful interaction. But in an intercultural community, which is what we're trying to develop in as our churches, we have values that are proactively shared and we enjoy mutual learning and blessing from each other's cultural insights. So in Mosaic, we're based in Harrow, Northwest London, where, where we're based, 64% of the population uh, in the 2011 census uh, from a black and minority ethnic community that's probably going to uh, grow up in the new census. And Harrow is actually the, uh, the most religiously diverse borough, I think, in, in the whole of Western Europe, so our bishop tells us, with a, a larger than average Jewish, Hindu and Muslim population. Now, we've uh, chosen the name Mosaic to call ourselves because, as, as you know, a mosaic is, is an artwork made up of uh, tiles of different colours and shapes that together make something uh, beautiful and special. And at Mosaic, we, we believe that our differences and cultural diversity enhance the specialness of our, of our time together and our community life together. And that each person as unique richness and beauty to who we are as followers of Jesus. If you ever seen a mosaic with a, with a tile missing, you readily notice it, don't you? Uh, because, and so we also feel that each person, whoever they are, brings a distinct contribution to community life. Uh, and I just want to say in this whole issue of intercultural and crossing uh, cultural barriers, it's important that to know that that's just also important as, as, as it crossing generational barriers, as crossing uh, social class barriers as well. Uh, but I think uh, uh, if we can get the ethnicity right, we can also uh, get, get some of the other things right and vice versa too. So we started uh, Mosaic uh, in, well, the vision had been started a few years earlier, but we started uh, in June 2019 and have been running a a monthly service through uh, St Paul's Church in South Harrow and recently we've increased uh, that to twice monthly uh, and we met in person uh, initially until uh, May, April 2020 and, and lockdown we've been meeting online since then and our, our vision in Mosaic is we want to be a church, a community uh, that celebrates cultural diversity and unity, Christian unity, on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to be uh, an intercultural ch ch uh, church in itself, a, ch a loving church, intercultural church community. But also we realise we want to be part of a network that's interdenominational and wider. This uh, vision of intercultural, I think it needs to be on every uh, church's mission action plan, wherever you are in the UK. I th uh, if, if we're missing that word or or something similar, I think uh, we're missing an important aspect of the gospel message. 
I just want to and share with you really four people who we've really connected with and a part of Mosaic uh, over the, these last uh, sort of couple of years. So the first person is a gentleman called Taz, and he's of Tamil background and uh, Hindu. And in December 2019, he attended our Mosaic Christmas service. And following this, he was invited to uh, join one of our services at St Paul's. And during that time, he saw uh, a gentleman called Simon, who was a white British worship leader, singing a, a Christian song in Hindi, that in, that, in the language of Northern India. And Taz doesn't understand uh, Hindi, but he was he was really amazed and 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 sort of his his mind was blown a bit as he saw the humility and cultural respect of this white British uh, minister choosing to sing a song in a, in a language other than English, and such honouring of another culture you know really made a powerful impression on him. I was sitting next to him. He went. He was going. Wow. Wow. It, is, is he singing Hindi? Because he hadn't seen that, that, that I think, because he hadn't seen, maybe seen that before. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it made an impact on him. And sadly, um, Taz has been going through a divorce over this last year and he's not seen his seven-year-old son for, for 15 months. And we've supported him and walked alongside him during this time. And in December 2020, Taz uh, uh, made profession of faith and he's now a regular part of our mosaic community and being discipled uh, by one of the members and part of our men's small group. The next lady I want to share with you is about called Anna and she's a, a first generation Iranian from a Muslim background uh, with a limited English. And one Saturday morning again in December 2019 we were doing some just street outreach and inviting people to our Christmas service in South Harrow and uh, she was met coming off the bus at uh, one of the bus stops there. And uh, she was introduced to Parvane, who was one of our mosaic leaders uh, and uh, a leader at St Paul's. And, and then we invited her following that to Mosaic and St Paul's. And again, walked with her in that journey. Uh, Parvane helped her translate during the services at, some, at Mosaic and St Paul's. And uh, uh, Anna also attended an Alpha course. She also uh, joined some English language uh, courses run by an, a local, another local church. And a few months ago, Anna relocated to Hull and uh, we helped join the church there. And again, she made a profession of faith while it's whilst in Hull and, and is due to be baptised soon. And it's lovely to know how we've been part of that faith journey. You know, we may not always, uh, people may not always join our, our, our local community, but we can be part of that instrumental instrumental in part of their faith journey. The next uh, person is Halima. And she's a second generation British Somalian girl. And uh, she uh, hangs out with a Afri, who's a British Afghan girl, and Haida, a British Lebanese boy. And again, our first contact was during a Friday night, half night of prayer. And uh, they were actually f uh, smoking uh, marijuana outside. And uh, during one of our breaks in the half night, prayer, they came in and we just got chatting to them, invited them to one of our, to our mosaic services following that. And uh, Nigel, one of our leaders, uh, shared, was able to share the gospel with them. And they came for before lockdown to about three or four services because um, as, as a lot of second generation people, like I said, like, like myself, there's this challenge with the identity, you know, one, 
are they British or are they whatever their parental uh, background is, or and maybe that may be mixed as well. And you know, whether for, so for Halima, was she British or was she Somalian, and where did they belong? And yet, uh, they felt these young people felt relaxed and at home in the mosaic sort of community setup, as they the services were in English. Yet the services were affirming of other cultures. They also enjoyed the variety of food that was shared in the services too. The next person is Gordon, who's one of our leaders, who's white British and lived in Harrow 50 years. And he would say during this time, like Harrow, like a lot of, of UK has changed dramatically in terms of ethnic diversity. And that brings, we know, we wanna be honest, that brings challenges and struggles as well, as well as the joys. Uh, and Gordon, but Gordon believes that uh, there needs to be more churches like Mosaic developed to help the people of Harrow find a place of belonging and faith in Jesus. So in terms of our sort of strategy for how we want to grow as a church, we start, firstly, it starts with prayer, you know, prayer, you know, it, this is the work of God and, uh, and prayer walks and prayer teams. And also that sense of spiritual battle in it all. We, uh, I mean, uh, Jesus said, by this shall all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another and if there, if there is unity. And, and I believe Satan doesn't want God's people uh, crossing barriers and demonstrating that the love of Christ breaks down these barriers. Satan wants to keep us apart and keep us separated. So there is a spiritual battle to uh, building intercultural church and prayer is right at that needs to be right at the heart of uh, seeing God grow and develop his, his, his church in his way. And as Andrew mentioned, this key word, we want, secondly, we want to be intentionally intercultural. You know, friends, if we want to build intercultural churches, uh, this doesn't just happen by just all, saying we are friendly and welcoming to all. There has to be an intentionality uh, of purpose in our, in our vision and values as we want to see the honouring of cultural differences and diversity in all that we do. And uh, we need to see that this demonstrated, this intentionality demonstrated in various ways. So firstly, in leadership, we uh, want our leadership to, to reflect uh, diversity in ethnicity, gender and age, and for this diversity to be visible in our services. Also the training and developing of leaders is a core value, especially those from underrepresented demographics. Also in terms of our corporate worship and services um, as diverse peoples, we, we believe our, you know, as diverse people groups, we uniquely host something special of God's presence as we gather together. Like I said, English is the core language because uh, we live in England and that's, I don't have a problem with that, but, there, but there's always significant cultural and language representation to confirm our core beliefs that no culture has the best view of God. And, and as I said before, we always end our services with food together, you know, encouraging people to bring their heart food for the blessing of uh, others. So whether it's sausage rolls or samosas or baklava or, or whatever it is, whatever is your heart food, you bring it to share with the community and bless others. But that's a picture of wanting to bless everything of our background uh, to, for the blessing of the community. Um, so as I said, also outreach and street evangelism. Um, before lockdown, uh, we started these regularly. One of as we emerge, we want to get out, you know, where we can, out on the streets, connecting with people, and 
with tracks from different languages and we'd love to as just to share a little bit about worship we'd want to be uh, doing worship in different languages as well we haven't done that yet but we definitely got that on the agenda and also part of building intercultural church is this whole idea of costly hospitality you know to encourage cross-cultural relationships so that the people we shared about like Gordon and Taz and Anna and Halima mix together and get to know one another. We want our Mosaic members to use their homes and their personal space, their social networks for discipleship and to build bridges for the gospel in friendship evangelism. And table fellowship, you know, is at the core of what Jesus, uh, what Mosaic is about, but also what Jesus is about, you know, the people whom he uh, had table fellowship with were, diff were not what the people, what the Pharisees of his day did. And, uh, and yet, he gives us a great example in that. And also linked with this, uh, what we're trying to do is we, we have to get involved in mission and justice if we're building intercultural churches. So the plight of the refugee, uh, the issue with work permits, affordable housing, access to appropriate health care. These, these are really important things to get involved. And I know in the Salvation Army, you're, you're, that's right at the core of so much of what you do uh, and in, in helping people's uh, that holistic view of, of the gospel. So also for our growth, we want to reduce cultural distance you know, and to reduce cultural distance for people to find faith in Jesus, for Taz and Anna and Halima, that they don't have to leave their culture at the door when they come into our churches and to reduce cultural distance between uh, members of the Mosaic community as more and more intercultural relationships are formed and to reduce cultural distance for people to find a place of uh, family and, and community and belonging. And alongside that, we want to increase cultural int intelligence to test, uh, uh, teach and equip our members in humility to be more culturally aware and sensitive and to increase cultural comfort, you know, to honour and celebrate cultural difference, whether you are from uh, Ghana or Iran or Cumbria or Leeds, we want everyone uh, to, to know that they've got a place at our table. And then a key part of our straight, uh, growth strategies is reaching out to youth and young families. Uh, we know that a great, there's a really a great interest amongst young people among, about intercultural living and life. They've, they, they're growing up much more than people of my generation in a, much more in an intercultural world. They get the intercultural space, they get the intercultural world, uh, and it's less of a challenge uh, to them and part of their everyday lives. And we want to get our young people involved as much as we can. And the final thing to say, you know, uh, in the Bible says, um, Jesus says two, two uh, well, he said this in the Bible, doesn't he? he said that nation shall rise against nation, literally, literally ethnic group shall rise against ethnic group. We know that lived out in our, in our own land, but also all around the world, ethnic conflict is there and has been historically. But also there's a, a, a prophetic word in Revelation, which we all know well, that where it says, after this, John says, after this I looked and there before me was a multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and tongue standing by the throne and before the Lamb. They're wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And both of the above verses are, are prophetic statements of truth. 
And we at Mosaic want to live as a, really as an antidote to the first statement and something of a fulfillment of the vision, heavenly vision of, of, of the second in Revelation. So as we think about issues of, uh, just looking at the time, gospel and subject of race, culture and ethnicity, I think I just want to finish by just uh, saying um, as church leaders that I, I like to think of issues of race, culture and ethnicity in terms of the, the challenge, the solution and the celebration. And as church leaders, we need to address all three parts, but for to deny one at the expense of the others uh, is not good. We want the, but we want the gospel primarily to be, to live out, to be good news in this area. And regarding the challenge, I don't need to say much. We're all aware of what's been going on in the world around this, this last year with the death of George Floyd and here in the UK and reports coming out about recently within my own, my own church, the Church of England, but in other areas about institutional racism, white privilege and some some of these issues. And we we need to critically reflect upon this, all of, all of us as a church, both past and present, and to repent, to listen and allow for stories to be told and truth telling to be heard. We can't do away with this part, but neither do we want to leave it there. And as a church moving forward, we want to be proclaiming the solution and the celebration. And the solution, as all good Christians would say, is the cross. <clears throat> you know, not only has Jesus' death brought us vertical reconciliation between us and God, tearing the curtain in the temple, but also there is horizontal reconciliation. Ephesians 2, verse 14. For Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to the God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. You know, one of the victories of the cross is the breaking down of cultural and ethnic divisions, as well as other divisions amongst us as people. And I believe for the church, this is is one of the more underproclaimed victories of the cross. Maybe partly because we failed largely in this area, all of us, badly. And, and But friends, Jesus' death on the cross has brought us and brought us spiritual freedom through restoring our relationship, not only with God the Father, but uh, through restoring our relationship with our fellow human beings. Jesus has broken down the social, ethnic and cultural barriers that exist amongst us. And he, he makes us one. Galatians 3, we quote it often, you know, that in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, for all one in him. And even though Jesus has done it all, we still need to walk and live in the spiritual freedom, freedom that Christ has won. And intercultural church is part of that. It is finished, Jesus proclaimed, it is finished. And as I said, in the world out there, we know, uh, we see nation rising against nation, but the cross tells a different story. And so must we as our ch in our churches. And lastly, another Bible reflection I would like us to finish with is Mark 11 uh, verses 15 to 17. Uh, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the table of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
The story of Jesus cleansing the temple, the clearing of the temple is a story in all four Gospels, which is interesting because it means that it's one of those events in Jesus' life that all four Gospel writers thought it was important to write down. Uh, it's, one, it's a story that highlights Jesus' anger and zeal and passion to stand against something that was not right. And uh, here we have a uh, picture of Herod's temple. Uh, you see the outer court was that the beige area was the court of the Gentiles. The black area, which was elevated, was the court uh, of Israel, which had other barriers of men and women and clergy and laity and the Holy of Holies in there. And in our story, it says that Jesus entered the temple area, the outer area, the court of the Gentiles, and saw the, it was full of people buying and selling. And Jesus gets angry and overturns the, the tables and says, is it not written, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And this made the chief priests uh, and teachers of the law angry and they started to plot to kill Jesus. Now some churches have taken the story simply at face value and won't support buying and selling of money, uh, of things in, in, in church. Uh, but I think more looking more deeply, the story is mainly about Jesus reclaiming the temple as he says, as a house of prayer for all nations. See, God has been all has been always been about a people of all nations knowing him and praising him. And the money changers and people sent up and located themselves in that court of the Gentiles. Their actions were not only exploiting these Gentile worshippers, but hindering them from worshipping God, hindering them from encountering the living God. And that's why Jesus got so annoyed. There was no space or place for the Gentiles to worship God. The temple was a place where God's presence was to be encountered and where his name was to be worshipped. Yet there were activities going on in this temple that were preventing genuine faith-seeking Gentiles from worshipping and encountering God. So as we finish this morning, this the session, I want to ask ourselves, are there things that we are doing as Christians and as church communities that are hindering and preventing people from all nations encountering God where we are? Is there anything stopping people of certain cultural backgrounds finding faith in Jesus where we worship? Are there any unnecessary cultural barriers that we are putting up that uh, we sometimes blind or have a blind spot about that we that they need to cross to encounter God? So my question as we go into breakout rooms is really what does it what does being more intercultural mean for you and your ministry and your church community what what might that mean for you uh, as you going forward so um i wanted to this last second session really i said about you know the in terms of race culture and ethnicity uh, the, the challenge and the solution, the cross, uh, and living, and then us living, uh, living at that out. But also wanted this bit about the celebration. You know, we, as God's people, we need to be uh, at the, the whole at the forefront of celebrating uh, diversity. And for that to happen, I think this we are we want to go back to the theology uh, and a faith that clearly embraces and proclaims that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is for everyone. Uh, one of my few New Testament Greek phrases is panta ethne, uh, which means all nations, all cultures, all ethnicities. 
And throughout the Bible, we know we, we see God's heart for all nations, all, all people. Adam and Eve uh, are the beginning of all humanity. Sarah, uh, Abraham and Sarah are designated the father and mother of all nations. And God gave Abraham a promise in Genesis 12. Uh, all peoples on earth will be blessed through him. And the people of Israel were chosen by God as a people and nation, not just for their own blessing, but that they might be a light to the nations. And Psalm 67 uh, is a great example of this. It says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God our God blesses us. May God bless us still, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. So moving on to the New Testament, we know that Jesus is the saviour of the whole world, for both Jew and Gentile. And we've said already about the, the, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the call to the church to make disciples of all nations. And that has been, I think, that call to go to all nations has been probably in the past a, a, a sort of sideline, uh, the work of cross-cultural missionary work, maybe over, going overseas in inverted commas to do that. But it's a call for every disciple, it was a call at the beginning for every disciple uh, to make further disciples of all nations. So we're all called to cross-cultural, intercultural mission work. And and in terms of, I think in our, I was just thinking in terms of our training, uh, all, I think all our theological colleges and the training of our young people has to have this right at the core of it, um, moving forward. That the gospel also is to be taken from all nations to all nations. So that's, that's got to be at the centre of our theology. Uh, but also this truth needs to shape how, how we do church on a Sunday morning as well. How do we live out our faith? Do we celebrate a global faith? Do we celebrate and acknowledge a global faith? How much do we do that on a Sunday morning? Our second reflection is we, as uh, going back to this whole idea of being intentionally intercultural and diverse as churches and in our leadership. Uh, Acts 13, one of the first New Testament churches, had a diverse leadership. Uh, it says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and te teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So the leadership of that church in, in Antioch included Simeon, who was from sub-Saharan West Africa, Lucius from North Africa, Menaean from Palestine, Barnabas from Cyprus, and Saul from Tarsus in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And it seemed to Luke, the author of Acts, it was important to list these people, not only by their gifting and their role as prophets and teachers, but also by their ethnicity. And this is significant as we consider leadership in a multi-ethnic churches today. And our friend, friend for our churches to be diverse as communities and in leadership, there needs to be intentional commitment to that. The Apostle Paul 
uh, you know, he could have developed, you know, Jewish churches and Gentile churches separately. But he was passionate about Jews and Gentiles worshipping together and doing life together. And we were chatting in our, in our group. I think it, this is going to be met. Let's be honest. This is going to be difficult. It's going to be a dying to self in the soul. A die, you know, it's going to be uh, difficult. There's going to be more rubbing uh, across each other. And in this whole area of race, ethnicity, and culture, I was um, saying that there's greater potential, we you know, a greater potential for offence, for misunderstanding, uh, for treading on people's toes. And I think a key verse in this is that lovely verse in 1 Peter 4, verse 18, where Peter says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Friends, there's going to be a lot of many sins, many offences in this multi-intercultural world, many offences. But we, God has given us the, the spiritual tools of his grace, his love and his forgiveness, which covers a multitude of sins, which covers a multitude of sins. So let's work at it hard. And uh, the and I want to say that, yeah, we need to intentionally seek and promote and affirm diversity. Uh, and it's interesting in this Acts 13 thing that uh, this ethnically diverse church was the first to sacrificially set apart and release two of its leaders, Barnabas and Saul, so that the Christian message to, could spread more widely. And it's used uh, for laying, you know, the, the, as the prototype for sending out Christians involved in cross-cultural mission work. And it was, interestingly, it was also in this diverse community that believers were first called Christians. And I think that's significant. I think that's significant. The final biblical reflection from Revelation, um, Revelation 21, right at the end of uh, our, the Bible, John says this, I did not see a temple in the city that is the heavenly Jerusalem, because the the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut out, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Friends, all that is good and wholesome from every culture and people group in the world will be brought and treasured in the heavenly Jerusalem. But we want that to be, uh, a our churches to be a foretaste of heaven. And it's interesting that our ethnic and cultural distinctives as human beings are not obliterated in heaven, Far from it, they are preserved, celebrated, and cultural treasures are offered to God in worship. And as we know, there are many things we don't know about heaven. Uh, Paul, Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love them. But we do know, what well, one thing we do know about our heavenly destination is that Revelation 5, 7, you know, that there will be that great celebration gathered around the throne of God uh, in, from Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10. And part of our calling as Christians is to see, work towards seeing God's kingdom here on earth and to see that not in just terms of justice and alleviating suffering and healing, but I think in this 
the growth of more intercultural churches the kingdom of god is about celebrating spiritual unity and cultural and ethnic diversity and friends i believe where we really are at a pivotal moment for the church in this country in the western world in matters of race ethnicity and culture that a will we be for the authenticity the credibility the integrity and the mission of the gospel we need to be and moving towards, I believe, more intercultural churches and, and seeing our, uh, our, our present churches becoming more diverse in whatever way. We've got to work that out. And as we've said, it's different in different contexts. So we need God's wisdom in that. Uh, as we, but we want to be, be people who get hold of the truth that the gospel is for all nations. We want to be intentional about leadership and participation. And we want to be at the forefront of, of people who honour as Christians, we, we are at the forefront of sus, people in society who affirm, honour, respect and celebrate the richness of cultural diversity that God has blessed this world with. We don't want to be playing catch up with the world, but we want to be right at the forefront of that. I'm going to hand over to Jessie, uh, who's my friend and colleague. She's a worship leader at Mosaic and community coordinator. And uh, she, she'll share a bit about herself and sharing about intercultural worship. Uh, so over to you, Jesse. Thank you very much, Mohan. It's great to be here all. Nice to meet you. I was just trying to do all the tech, so apologies for all the slides flying up everywhere. So as Mohan mentioned, I'm Jesse, and I lead worship at Mosaic. I'm also part of something called Songs to Serve, um, which helps intercultural churches across Europe with their worship and I also studied ethnomusicology. So I'm going to borrow something from ethnomusicology as we first start. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about music. So we know that music is something that touches the heartstrings. It's connected uh, to memory as well, and it engages our deepest emotions. We are tend to be drawn to music, especially familiar music. Um, music can tell us that who belongs somewhere but it can also tell us who doesn't belong somewhere. There's a bus station in Harrow called Harrow Bus Station where they play classical music, Western classical music on the speakers. And you might think it's a nice thing for commuters to listen to as they're waiting for their bus, but actually it's a device to deter youth from hanging out there. So there it tells you that music um, is exclusive so if we think about our sung worship, our corporate worship in our churches, how much of it is inclusive and how much of it is exclusive. So worship is something which should be fundamentally disruptive because in worshiping God, it um, we take the focus from ourselves to God. We lay down the kingdom of self for the kingdom of God. And this should fuel us to love God and to love our neighbors as well. And our neighbours change, which means it changes the way that we worship. Obviously, we will have to keep the foundations um, of our faith. And in Romans 12, it's a really good reminder to love and to serve and to honour others above ourselves and to practice hospitality as well in this way. So, yes, we can use worship as a way to practice hospitality. And in intercultural worship, this is the things that we can communicate, that people are welcomed, valued, they're included, we validate their cultures, we love them, respect them and honour them as well. 
And it's also a tool for evangelism too, because when people hear their heart music, when they hear their heart language, they are drawn in as well. They know that the gospel is for them. I also use it as a conversation starter. I might say to a neighbor that we are singing Hindi at our church on Sunday, or I might ask someone for their help in pronouncing words in Romanian, for example. Now, intercultural worship, cross-cultural or diverse worship, singing songs in different styles and languages is uh, both enriching and also brings exposure to the local church. So when we experience the exuberance of African praise or the devotional aspect of South Asian worship, or we learn to lament using Middle Eastern tunes, it all contributes to us seeing a fuller picture of God. And we can learn more about him in this way. We can also learn more about the global Christian family outside of our four walls. We can learn to pray more missionally and more cross-culturally as well. Um, but of course, it's uncomfortable. Of course, it's a sacrifice, and we've already talked about that. And it's a call to really lay down ourselves, including our worship preferences. And in that way, our brother and sister can fully express themselves before God. And that should in turn inspire me to worship and then we can all worship together. So I'd like to just tell you a story um, from a conference in Athens, uh, which I was part of leading worship two years ago. And before the conference, we visited a church and in the church, there was a group of Chinese believers and we led a song in Mandarin Chinese and we also translated it into Greek and to English as well. And whilst we were singing it, the Chinese believers, they were crying actually. They were really touched. They understood that the gospel was for them. They knew exactly what they were singing in their worship as well. And they could express themselves fully to the Lord. And the wonderful thing is other people in the church were also crying because they were so touched as they saw the response of their church family. And because we translated the song into English and also to Greek, they could all worship together as one body. Now, Mohan mentioned um, Revelation 7 verse 9, where every nation, tribe, people and language worship God together. So in doing intercultural worship, we can experience a foretaste of heaven. And I'd also like to end by sharing Psalm 86 verse 9, which reads this, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. So this is a desire of God's heart for all nations to know him and to worship him together. And Mohan already mentioned Mark 11, but I also want to reiterate this. It says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? So there are uh, various ways that we can start to lead worship cross-culturally in our churches. 